Good morning, church. Happy New Year. You guys have a good holiday? Eat enough? Too much? It's nice to be back. I need to tell you something. I was thinking about this just a couple of days ago as I was putting this talk together. And I don't tell you enough, but you guys need to know that uh, I am so honored to be able to, to be here week after week and, and speak with you guys and, and fellowship with you and, and uh, be, be part of this family. Thank you so very much for allowing me to be that person that can do that here. And I, and I think you guys are fantastic. I boast about you guys all the time, and, and I mean it. So thank you. I just wanted you to know I'm honored. I know what it's like to sit in those pews, you know, for the next two hours as I preach. No, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> but I know what it's like to sit there, you know, and, and, you know, especially right before lunch, your stomach starts to growl, things are happening. And so the fact that you would come and be there, it means a lot to me. So thank you. Let me tell you a little bit uh, about my childhood uh, you know, I moved here from, from Italy when I was 10 years old, and uh, I couldn't speak a word of English. So uh, uh, my dad had a tutor for me, a uh, nice lady, very intense lady, but, you know, nice lady. And she would, uh, she would go there once a week, and she would tutor. I'd go to school. It was a little private school, a little Catholic school I would go to. Uh, and I had no clue what people were saying or doing. And the best way that I could learn how to speak, my best teacher really was I Love Lucy. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. You know, just watching I Love Lucy, um, the Brady Bunch. Uh, and again, I couldn't understand a word they were saying. Uh, but I just thought, wow, you know. And, and one of the things that struck me was that, because this was, I've never experienced this in Italy, this you, you know, this was not in Italy then. I don't know if it is now, but I, 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 this was so weird to me. Uh, they would say something that I did not understand, and then all of a sudden you would hear this laughter. Yeah, just like that. And I'd be like, like wow, what was so funny? And who's laughing, you know? And, and, and they would go on and on. Then I would, and I'd be like, there must be like a live audience there. They must be watching this, and, and they must be laughing. But I began to pick up on something, just as a 10-year-old. It's so interesting. I began to notice that some of the laughter was like the same laughter that was in the Brady Bunch was in the, you know, the, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. I love Lucy Brady Bunch. Is the same audience? I mean, that's, that's like two different time periods. I'm not getting this, you know. And then, to make things even worse, I would watch the Flintstones <laughs> and the Jess, Jetsons. Remember the Jetsons, you know? I would watch this. Some of you guys are going, yeah, you never even heard of the Jetsons, but thank you for being nice. So, and I would watch this, and there would be this canned laughter. These people would be laughing, and I'd be like, it's the same people. Who are these people? Where are they getting these people from? Only to realize that it really wasn't. It was just fake laughter. And the moment I realized that it was fake laughter, I felt so, like, betrayed. Like, you're just trying to get me to laugh. And it's not even real. What's up with that? Why would you do that? 
Apparently, there was a sound engineer by the name of Charlie Douglas in the early days of television, and he hated the fact that, that the studio audience on TV channel shows, there were some, by the way, but they laughed at the wrong moments. They didn't laugh at the right moments, or they laughed too loudly, or they laughed too long. And so he decided, you know, we're going to get rid of that. We're just going to put on, we're going we're to record laughter like they did on old radio shows, and we're just going to let, let that go. The TV audience, they, he felt they needed prompting. They needed to be educated to when and how to laugh. Chuck Palahonic, who is an author, writes this, in case you still uh, watch some of these shows with sitcoms, because they're still using the same laughter. I just want you to know that. Here's what he says. Most of the laugh tracks on television were recorded in the early 1950s. These days, most of the people you hear laughing are dead. <laughs> And the famous actor, David Niven, British actor, said these words. He says, the laugh track is the single greatest affront to public intelligence I know. And it's true. Don't you feel like, how many of you feel like I feel like you're listening to them laughing? Some of you have gotten so used to it that you forgot that there was laughter, didn't you? Come on, be honest with me. Right? There was a moment when I almost forgot. And then I'm like, wait a minute, don't you know, you're not getting me on this. I know you're fake. I can't stand it. I'm going to tell you that right now. Can you tell, by the way, that I'm pretty upset about it? And the reason why I'm upset and the reason why I think that uh, David Nivens feels the way I do is that it is, it, there is one single quality that humans deeply long for above all other qualities. And that quality is authenticity. And I want to, uh, this word is so misunderstood these days. Uh, this word is, is so, uh, people mis have, have just taken this word totally out of context. They, most people think that authenticity means you need to be brash and, and you need to be who you are no matter what anybody thinks. And, and that is not what we are talking about. What we're talking about, when we're talking about authenticity is being true to yourself and to others. And especially for us as a church and as Christians to be able to be true to ourselves and to others in echoing who God has designed us to be. Does that make sense? Listen, I'm all for being transparent. I'm all for embracing my faults and, and, and who I am. And, and, and I'm not going to fake it. That's not what I'm going to do. But, but I'm going to do that with my eye towards the goal of the God who can change me to be who I was designed to be. That's my authentic self. Does that make sense? So too many times now we say, well, I'm, this is me. You don't like it? Too bad. <laughs> well, no, that's not, that's not authenticity. Authenticity in its truest form should be us becoming more and more who God designed us to be. That's my authentic self. Does that make sense? I don't want to make anybody thirsty right now. I was going to drink a Coca-Cola up here, but I thought, ah, better not. So uh, Coca-Cola uh, came, came around in 1904, 1905. And uh, in 1905, they had a slogan, 
and the slogan was revives and sustains. And the reason why is because it did revive. Not only because of caffeine, but I many of you know this, that back in those days, Coca-Cola actually had cocaine in it. Uh, revives, I mean, okay, you know, people are like, oh yeah, cool, I'm going to have some, right? And they were doing fine in 1927, though they changed it. They realized, you know, that there's a whole temperance thing going on, and we better, you know, just be careful. And so they decided to, to change it to pure as sunlight. They got rid of the cocaine and said, let's call it pure as sunlight. But then in the 1940s, uh, other colas began to emerge. Pepsi Cola. RC Cola. You remember those? Some of you guys like that better. I know. The ta- I, I was going to do a taste test, but that, no, it's not, not worth it. And so in 1942, they came out with a slogan, and the slogan was, the only thing like Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola itself. You like that? But that wasn't enough. They got together more because Pepsi and RC began to redouble their efforts in marketing, and so they got more and more together. And then for the next from 1969 to 1990, although there were little variations to this, from 1969 to 1990, catch this, ready? They had one slogan that came with a song and everything. Do you remember what the slogan was? It's the real thing. The genius of these advertisers realized that the most the quality that people long for the most, the thing that is most attractive, the most magnetic, is authenticity. And so these companies were appealing to authenticity, to our heart, to our desire to be authentic, to be real. And so they were saying, look, you could drink Pepsi if you want. Sure, whatever, you know, you want to drink RC, go for it. But if you want to drink the real thing, the original one, the authentic one, you got to drink Coca-Cola. That was their whole point. And you know what? It worked. That's why they kept it for so many years. In fact, they came back a few years ago, a form of it, and it was, it's real. Let's make it shorter. (laughs) Coca-Cola, it's real. Like, was it ever fake? I don't know. Uh, Other companies uh, like Apple. Apple came out with a computer. Do you remember the word that they used to describe their computer being different than other computers? It was a weird word. It was a word that none of us ever really heard before. But now, people that are into computers, they've heard this word before. Now they know it. And the word is WYSIWYG. Anybody know what WYSIWYG stands for? What you see is what you get. That's what WYSIWYG means, right? Meaning that, look, hey, look, if you, let's, let's make sure that what you see on your monitor is exactly what prints out. What you see on your monitor is exactly what you want. None of this, like, you know, coded stuff you know let's what you see is what you get and people love that why because it was authentic it was real it was transparent it was what it was supposed to be later on in dove came out with their real beauty uh, advertisements have you seen those amazing amazing uh, commercials and 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 uh, here's my thought why is it that the world out there understands the power of authenticity. And we as believers have struggled for so many years with this quality. Can I just say something to you? I think that I don't care if, if you've forgotten 
all the other sermons. I don't care if you fell asleep during the other sermons. I'm just going to tell you right now, this quality, I really believe for today, for us, is the most important quality that we can embrace. This quality called authenticity. For a couple of reasons. Number one, because it allows us to get real with ourselves, to be true to ourselves, so that we're not faking it until we're making it. So that we are really truly saying, look, these are my faults, these are my problems, these are the challenges I have. Until we do that, we're all never going to really be able to deal with them. Isn't that true? I mean, we can hide and, you know, and, and bury our head in the sand and say, no, I don't have that problem. I don't, no, that's not true. Yeah, it is true. That's a problem, and that's okay. But then to take that further and say, God's changing me little by little. And then the second reason is because there is something about that quality that's different than any other quality that we are mentioning here, any other value that we're talking about here. And that value is an extremely magnetic and attractive characteristic among, among people. It is the one thing that people really long for. If we've been talking about growing younger. We've been talking about this. Can I be honest with you? Whether you're young or old, it doesn't matter what age you are. Isn't it true that when you meet somebody that's real, that's authentic, that's true to themselves and to others, you are attracted to that person. You want to be like that person. You want that in your life. Aren't you tired of fake people, fake canned laughter? All of us, and, 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 and it's true that this next generation, the, the Gen Zs and, and the millennials, they have the greatest hypocrisy radars there are. And by the way, hypocrisy, in case you haven't realized it, is the total opposite of authenticity. <clears throat> so what about the church? Paul says something really powerful in the book of Romans. He says... I have a special word of caution. A special word of caution for you who are sure that you have it all together yourselves and because you know God's, re God's revealed word inside and out. You feel qualified to guide others through their blind alleys and dark nights and confused emotions to God. How are we doing? A word of caution, Paul says, to those of us in this room that think we have it all together. The revelator called it the Laodicean church. While you are guiding others, who is going to guide you? I'm quite serious, Paul says. He says, while preaching, don't steal are you going to rob people blind? Who would suspect you? The same with adultery. The same with idolatry. You can get by with almost anything if you front it with eloquent talk about God and his law. The line from scripture, it's because of you Jews that the outsiders are down on God, shows it's an old problem that isn't going to go away. Did you catch that? In other words, what Paul was saying is it's because of believers, not because of the truth, 
But because of the way believers act, because of the way believers behave, because of the way believers speak, that unbelievers are down on God. When I meet people and talk to them about God, they're like, you know, I don't want to hear it. I, you know, I don't, I'm not religious. I don't, I don't, I'm not religious either. Can I just be honest with you? I know it sounds crazy, but I'm not religious. Religious people killed Jesus, okay? I'm not religious. I don't want to be religious, but I, want, I am spiritual. I want to be connected to God in the real way. I do not want to live a fake Christian life. If that's Christianity, I don't want anything to do with it. If that's normality, I vote for abnormality any day. I am telling you right now, this has been a plague of Christianity for many, many, many years. Paul says in Romans, it's a problem then. And in fact, he says, it is because of, of us believers, he would have said, instead of Jews, of us believers, that the outsiders, the unbelievers are down on God. Doesn't that kind of sting a little bit? It isn't because God's not good enough. It isn't because God is not real. It isn't because God is not wonderful and loving and, and powerful. It isn't because, because the truth isn't being preached. It's because we're doing something wrong. It's because we're more worried about being right than being true. Paul was talking to a group of believers who said one thing and did another. They were more concerned about circumcision of the skin rather than circumcision of the heart. And it's easy for us to say, well, we don't, we don't practice circumcision. I mean, that's good. I'm all for that. But Paul was also talking to a group of people, believers who were critical and judgmental and hypocritical. They did one thing, or said one thing and did another. That's what he said. Now, if you were to look through the Gospels, if you were to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would find the story of Jesus. And you would find the story of Jesus, this God who puts on human skin to be with us. And this Jesus walks around preaching deliverance from bondage. Now, all kinds of sinners would go to Jesus. Thieves, prostitutes, corrupt tax collectors. And Jesus always, always was kind and challenging and loving towards them. Have you noticed that? There, all, all, whatever sin that we think is a bad sin, Jesus would look at them and he would, he would meet them with love and compassion and say, look, come as you are, leave inspired. Are you following what I'm saying? That was Jesus when he came to all these sins all the time. It was amazing. But there was one sin, one time that they missed the mark. 
that he just couldn't deal with it anymore. And that was the total opposite of authenticity. That's why I believe authenticity is so important. That was hypocrisy. The worst thing that we can be as believers is hypocritical. The worst thing we can do is to say one thing and do another. I can't tell you, uh, Nancy and I working through years and years, and Spencer too, through, through academies and watching teenagers grow up. And we, how many times we saw young people who had tremendous, tremendous p- potential for God who saw their parents say one thing and do another. And today they're totally out of the church. They're totally disconnected with God. They don't want anything to do with God. Good young people. I had a young person here uh, about a month and a half ago that came up and spoke to me who, who was here visiting. And it was during one of the sermons about reaching out to younger people. And he said, you know, I, I love what you're saying. This is so good. He says, but that, can I just be honest with you? He says, the church is not the problem. This is what he said to me. The church is not the problem, he said. The parents are the problem. Because I get to go home and I get to see my parents who will say one thing, put on a smile, happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath, just right after they got out of their car yelling at each other and then got back into their car and they had a silent treatment for the next four hours. How are we doing? We doing okay? If you think I'm being strong, I apologize. Let me just take you to Jesus and show you what he says about this concept. There's a part in Matthew called the seven woes. Let me give you to them. Number one, it says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. These are the believers, not only believers, these are the ones that we're actually teaching. These are the pastors, the elders, the MCC leaders right here, right, of the day. Not ours. we got great, great people here. But we need to know this, don't we? Listen to, what he, listen to what he says. There is such a gulf between what you say and what you do. Do you catch that? You will stand before a crowd and lock the door of the kingdom of heaven right in front of everyone, and you won't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from doing so. In other words, you're saying, look, you don't walk the talk. You need to walk the talk. That's the first fool. The second woe, he says, woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees. What you say is not what you do. You steal the homes from under the widows while you pretend to pray for them. You will suffer great condemnation for this. And what he's saying is don't pretend that you care, actually care. The third woe is, woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you who teach the law. Hypocrites. Now he's getting a little bit more intense. You traverse hills and mountains and seas to make one convert. And then when he does convert, you make him much more a son of hell than you are. By doing what? By turning him or her into a hypocrite. Don't turn converts into judgmental legalists. That's what he's saying here. I know, and I have to keep saying this because there's visitors 
and, and, and because I want to make sure that you understand. I, I know this church is very unique, very loving. It, it really ever fits this, this mold here. But I think all of us have been in situations in churches, have, 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 have experienced this kind of thing in other places, haven't we? In fact, I can't I tell you how many times people have come to our church and have said, I, I don't know what it is about this church, but it's so loving. And I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. Like, that's the criteria? Like, you're coming to this church because it's loving? Like, shouldn't every church be loving? I mean, is, is that make sense or not? Like, what's going on out there? And as long as I breathe, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to keep reminding us to be who we were meant to be. I'm going to keep reminding us to be our true selves, not the self that is just embracing our faults, but the, the, the self that embraces our faults and shortcomings and still moves forward towards closer and closer towards who God wants us to be and has designed us to be. Here's the next woe. I wanted to give a little break there because it gets really crazy now. Woe to you who are blind but dare to lead others. You say, swearing by the temple means nothing, but he who swears by the gold in the temple is bound by his oath. Are you fools? <laughs> you must be blind. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, don't you get your price tags mixed up. How often have you seen this? Where we're more worried about the carpet and the joy of the children that are playing. We're more worried about how quiet it is in here than, than to see kids just enjoying church in the way the kids do. How are we doing? Next woe. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe from your luxuries and your spices, giving away a tenth. You're good tithers. That's great, he says. But you ignore the essentials of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. It is practice of the latter that makes sense of the former. Don't forget why you do what you do. I, people make fun of me all the time because I'm always asking why, 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 why. Well, that's because I think why is important. Why we do what we do is so absolutely important. The next woe says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You remove fine layers of film and dust from the outside of a cup or bowl. But you leave the inside full of greed and covetousness and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, can't you see that if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be clean too? See, don't mistake image for character. We have so many people that are so more, much more concerned about their reputation than they are about building their characters. We're so much more concerned about what we look like than who we really are. See, these are the signs of being inauthentic. These are the signs of being hypocritical, Jesus is saying. And he says these words over and over, woe to you. He doesn't say that to prostitutes. He doesn't say that to thieves. He doesn't say that to the common sinner. He doesn't, say that to, he doesn't say that to anybody except for hypocrites. Have you noticed this? Is it just me? 
He never says woe to you, except for those who are not practicing authenticity. That's why I believe it is one of the most important values that we can have as a church, not only collectively, but as individuals. And then, finally, woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like a grave. (laughs) Just in case you thought I was getting bad. You are like a grave that has been whitewashed. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you're full of moldered bones and decaying rot. (laughs) You appear at first blush to be righteous, selfless, and pure, but on the inside you are polluted, sunken hypocrisy and confusion and lawlessness. And he's saying, don't forget, God looks at the what? At the heart. And why is that important? It's because we don't, we don't get to judge. We don't get to criticize. We don't get to say, oh, did you see the way that guy came in? Did you see the way he smelled? Did you see what she was wearing? We don't get to do that. That's not our job. Because we don't know what's going on in their hearts. We don't know what's going on in their lives. We don't know the struggles that they've had to endure, even to make it to church this morning. We have no idea. Our job is not to judge or criticize or condemn. I've seen that too, by the way. Our job is to help people across the threshold of eternity. And you guys do it well. And my my job is to help you keep doing that well. Does that make sense? I love, you've heard me quote Brene Brown before, so... I'm going to quarter right now. I love what she says. What we know matters, but who we are matters more. Did you catch that? We are a church that prides ourselves on what we know. We are a church of the Bible, and that's a fantastic thing, and it matters. But who we are matters even more. Did you catch that? There's this movie that I used to show in my leadership class all the time whenever I taught about leadership. It was a Disney movie. It was called The Kid. And it's a kind of a weird movie. It's about this guy who is an image consultant. That's what his job is. And uh, he is visited by some little boy. And as the movie develops, he begins to realize that that little boy is him when he was a little boy. And, and he is like this perfect professional guy who wears a suit and, you know, is very brash and, you know, just gets things done, very successful. The little boy is this little chubby, pudgy guy, you know. And, and he's like, ah, that's, that's, what happened, you know, to me? Why are you? He doesn't even remember himself that way, you know. And the little boy is like, what happened to you? What happened to me? Like, do we have dogs? You know? Did you become a pilot like you wanted to? You know, he's like, he's asking all these things, you know? Oh, it's a long, long thing. And, and he, throughout the whole movie, he keeps asking, so what do you do? For, what is an image consultant? And the guy's like, I don't know. I, it's just, I, I consult. I, I help people, you know, with, with their problems, you know? Yeah, but, but what is that? I, I, I can't explain it. I just help people look better. That's what I do. <coughs> throughout the whole time. And as the movie begins to to develop and develop and develop and it it gets closer and closer to the end, they're becoming closer together and they're trying to figure out why this is happening in this Disney movie. 
And then at one point, he's tucking this little boy to bed, and you can tell he's melting. He's becoming much more compassionate towards the whole situation. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And the little boy says, I, I figure out what you do, what, what we do. And, and Bruce Willis, by the way, was the actor. He says, what do you mean you figured out what we do? He goes, I figured out what you do for a living. I figured out what an image consultant is. Okay? He says, you help people lie about themselves so that they could pretend to be somebody that they're not. I remember the first time I saw that movie and that line came out and I had to press pause on my VCR because I realized that so many churches fall into that trap. They help people lie about themselves so that they could pretend to be somebody that they're not. Are you following what I'm saying here? May we never be that church. Amen? Amen. If mission-mindedness is where we're going, and solidarity and sensitivity is how we're doing what we're doing, and passion is why we're doing it, authenticity is who we are, and who are we reflecting doing it. That's why it's so important. This great quote by uh, Brian McGill, I, which I have no idea who he is, so God bless you, Google him. Uh, but I love this quote, and I think it's so true. It's so true for us as individuals, and it's so true for us as a church to remember this. The struggle to excavate your true, authentic self from beneath the mountain of conditioning and ridiculous expectation is the epic struggle of your lifetime. I meet people every day that have become the sum total of other people's opinions. I meet people every day who their dad or, 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 or their teacher or their pastor or somebody who died a long time ago is still in the driver's seat. They have never really truly gotten a hold of the steering wheel so that they can give it to God. Never. And so they, they live their lives pretending to be somebody that they're not. You will never be, ever, ever, ever be championed for being somebody that you're not. Nobody will ever applaud you for being who you're not supposed to be. You need to be who you dream to be, who you want to be. You have a right to do that. God has designed you in a very amazing way. There is no one like you on this earth. You know that. You've seen me do this before. There is no one out of all the people that ever lived before and all the people that will live after you. Nobody has your DNA, your thumbprint, your personality. Nobody does. You are unique and you've got to find what that uniqueness is in the light of who God is. Not only for them, for you as, as individuals, but for us as a church, we are constantly asking ourselves, who are we really? How can we re-echo God's voice in our lives? How can we make sure that we are reflecting who God wants us to be? So we're committed constantly to ask ourselves, are we authentically reflecting God's design for us? Are we echoing his voice, his desire, his character? Are we more concerned 
with affecting character rather than preserving image as a church? Are we ready to admit our mistakes and acknowledge our faults while constantly striving to allow Jesus to change us from the inside out, like that song says? Are we willing to connect rather than impress? Or as uh, Benjamin said, uh, to be interested rather than interesting. Are we genuinely caring and compassionate or are we just serving to look good, to get some brownie points? See, I think this is why authenticity is so important. Because it is only when we embrace authenticity that victory in Christ really matters. Otherwise, we are all doing it for the wrong reasons. And if you want to go deeper with that, I'm challenging you. Get a hold of me privately. I would love to study this with you further. Love to do that. So we were in Portland last week. Got to visit my daughter. We had a great time. It was fantastic. The very first night we were there, though, we're driving uh, somewhere. I forgot where we were driving. And all of a sudden, we hear this pop. And Nancy says, the mirror just fell out. I go, what do you mean the mirror just fell out? And I looked over at the passenger side mirror, you know, the, the rear view mirror there. And it looked really kind of foggy. I'm like, what's up with that? And then I realized what had happened is that the mirror had just fallen out. What I was looking at is some blank thing there. And, and so we doubled back, tried to find it. It was all in pieces. So now, where do you think I'm going to find a 2011 Saab 9.5 passenger side rear view mirror so that I can change it. Not in Portland. So I ended up going to this auto shop. Brianna took me the next day. And uh, they said, oh, we got you covered. I'm like, really? You got one of these? He goes, oh, no, no, no. He says, but let me show you what we got. And he comes out with this sheet. And he says, you, you just take the measurements, you cut this just the way you want it. There's a little glue here, you stick it on, it's perfect. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah, it's temporary, but that's what you should do. I'm like, well, I don't want to get a ticket, so I'm going to do this. So sure enough, we go back, Nan, Brianna's there with her scissors. First thing we realize is we cut the whole thing, you know. Uh, you know, we, we took measurements, and, you know, she's great at this. You know, take the whole thing, know exactly how to fit it. And then we realize we cut it backwards. So now we got to cut it again, you know. And so now, the, now I got this little piece inside this big spot, you know. And, it's, and we, it glues in. It's still there. Beautiful, man. Nice in there. But when you look in it, you know how mirrors say, you know, uh, the images in the mirror uh, appear f uh, cl closer than they, the, than they appear. They're closer than they appear, right? Well, this one it should say the images are, appear closer than, than they are <laughs> because, it, like, everything looks like a... Uh, 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 like, um, like, uh, um, like one of those mirrors where everything looks fat and skinny. and You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like all distorted and everything. So I'm like, every time I look, I'm like, oh, man, I got to get that changed. Oh, man, I got to get that changed. 
There is nothing worse. And it's a stupid little mirror, right? I mean, who cares, right? But it's, this, is, this is a sob. I need an authentic sob mirror there. Not this piece of plastic. Today, people are recoiled from a distorted image of who God is. And as has often been the sad truth, we are, as believers have not done a good job in presenting the God that has saved our lives. The God who has been compassionate and merciful towards us My friend Joe came to live with me. He lived in Arizona, and he came, and he was a singer in a rock band, and came over, and, and we, I, would, I would share my bedroom with him. I, I would be in one bed reading my Bible. He'd be in another bed reading some kind of Buddhist book, you know? This went on for weeks, and then one day he said, are you really reading the Bible? Like, isn't that old-fashioned? I'm like, not to me it is. I never read this stuff before. This is amazing. And he's like, well, what do you mean? And the next thing you know, we're reading the Bible together. We're studying together. We're going to church together. And we get baptized together. And Joe was just he was one of these guys that just was looking for truth before I even understood it. He was looking for genuine compassion, but what he saw was a bunch of people doing feel-good deeds. Joe was looking for his church to earnestly and sincerely share the Christian joy that he had. But what he saw was how many can we lure in and baptize so we can make the, the count. Joe was looking for a church whose members authentically affirmed one another, but what he saw was criticism and rare moments of false-hearted fanfare. Joe was looking for an opportunity to genuinely grow towards spiritual maturity, but what he saw was a few dabblers of religion dwarf his experience and minimize his efforts as he tried different things. And Joe today is not a believer. He was one of my closest friends. I pray for Joe from time to time. We reconnected a few years ago. But he's not the same. See, Joe needs a new mirror. He needs to see God the way you and I see God. Charlie said amen, which I think he's, he sees God the way I see God then. Authenticity, the incredible power of credibility. 
the awesome display of, of being genuine, of being authentic. This is what God is looking for. Genuine Christians, attractive, magnetic. They stand out in a crowd. They demonstrate strength and security, rarely seen these days. Their character is deeper. Their ideas are fresher. Have you noticed this? Authentic Christians, their spirit is softer. Their courage is greater. Their integrity is higher. Their leadership is stronger. Their concerns are broader. Their compassion is unmatched. And convictions are unshakable. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the world is getting really dark. Every day there's something else going on. And maybe it's because there is so much more access to all that's going on. I don't know. But have you noticed things are getting really bad? Authenticity is one of those values that will really, when, when things get dark, it is the authentic church that will shine. Are you following what I'm saying here? When things get dark and things begin to get really bad, all the fakers will be gone because they don't want to deal with that. They've been faking it. Why would I do this? It is the authentic believer that will hold on. And we as a church are committed to not only do ministry authentically, but to help each other become more and more authentic. Are you in? If you're in, raise your arm with me. Higher. I don't get that, but yes. I don't know why we don't go there right away, right? (laughs) Okay. Amen. Thank you. And I mean this. Nancy and I are so honored to be here. Thank you so very much. We talk about it all the time. I, I feel like we have to take advantage of this moment, of this great congregation. We could do amazing things for God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you for leading us to adopt these values, Lord. Help each and every one of us as individuals and also collectively, Lord, become more and more authentic, more and more whom you have designed us to be. Help us, Lord, to champion each other, encourage one another, hold each other accountable until that day comes when you come and take us in glory. We long for that, Lord. May we be faithful until then. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.